You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. What's up? Welcome back to the Barton and Bud Show. Bud, I am sitting in a vacant house, the only place I can find internet in Nashville. Uh, My in-laws house is on the market, so excuse my background. Uh, Looks like you've got a a fresh new background this week, too. Yeah, I got to slide it over. I I guess I got to pull this a little closer to me. Yeah, I mean, this this quarantine just keeps getting weirder, but uh, how are things your way? Not bad, man. You know, uh, my son is is standing up and walking with the walker and you know we're still turning out content on the work side of things and had some great like we had the last kind of coolish weather weekend we'll have all year I down here in Orlando I mean it was just like mid 70s tick the low 80s it was it was solid little little different weather up there for y'all storming man I don't know what's going on I don't know what Nashville has done too many good nights on Broadway I think made the made the gods angry uh and we're paying for it right now but we'll get through it get some internet back power back this morning we're getting there so uh we hit 225 itunes or apple podcast reviews we should probably shout out our listeners for that and today we have a lot of stuff to talk about including something we teased at the end of the prior episode and that was uh, some tennessee talk so uh cue that rocky top music we're about to talk a whole lot of Tennessee, and we're going to talk a little bit about something that you brought up just kind of off the cuff last week, or it, maybe it wasn't off the cuff. Maybe, maybe you already knew uh, what I would find, but I, I kind of took your, your idea and ran with it, and we, we found out some cool stuff with draft trends and, and Heisman quarterbacks, and, and I, I think you're really on to something there about how those players are evaluated. Uh, we can talk about Chris Hummer's story about how schools actually develop five stars, which, which got the, the full-scale Urban Meyer uh, endorsement, and then you wrote a piece about where Urban Meyer uh, ranks all the time as a recruiter and how he changed the game of recruiting. Uh, and then we uh, we actually have a five-star Apple review question to take. So uh, we had an Indiana listener uh, write in to ask us a question. So it sounds like a pretty pretty loaded-up show to me, dude. Busy show. Got, I, I mean, I guess, I guess we got to start with Tennessee. Um, it's not all bad weather in the state of Tennessee. Over there in East Tennessee, they, they – it's raining something, raining four stars right now. Uh, I mean, it's it's uh, they are the story in the college football recruiting world. And given that there's really not a college football world to speak of right now, they're kind of the story in the college football world. Um, how you want to set this up? You want to give the rundown here? Do we, do we have a few clips we want to play? Yeah. So uh, not surprisingly, Tennessee has dominated the airwaves pretty much all of our other shows. We'd like to personally thank Jeremy Pruitt and the University of Tennessee for getting all these commitments and helping us finish finish April with, with some very strong numbers uh, coming in uh, at a time where there's not as, as much news as perhaps we would like. So great job, Tennessee. Here's the clips. Uh, we're going to have Greg Biggins and Charles Power, Trey Scott and Wes Rucker, Josh Pate, uh, whose show is growing leaps and bounds, by the way. Make sure you check out 
uh, the late kick with Josh, and then also Tony Levitt here. So let's go ahead and hear these. And last but not least, let's go over to Tennessee. They're on a nice little run right now, and I, I think yeah. the, the story with them isn't just who they have, but maybe who they're projected to get. Uh, Crystal Ball is kind of flying in for Caden Salter, one of the top quarterbacks in the country, top 100 on our board nationally, not as a quarterback, as a football player, and then also Terrence Lewis. You make a case, has maybe the best linebacker film, uh, at least top three film that we have seen. Uh, if you can, Charles, put into kind of perspective uh, what kind of role Tennessee is on right now. Yeah, they're they're in a big role. Like I, so within the last week, they've gotten Dylan Brooks, who's a composite five star out of Alabama, uh, Julian Nixon, who is like a receiver tight end type. Um, we're a little lower on him than most, but he's a composite four star. And Kamar Wilcoxon, who's also a composite four star safety, and then projected to get uh, or like the crystal ball is trending heavily towards Terrence Lewis and Caden Salter. So without Lewis and Salter, their class is already fifth nationally uh, with 13 commits and second in the SEC. Um, but yeah, they're, they're rolling. Let's talk about what really is at the forefront today. Remember the focus. When we were on air Sunday over in the corner that we normally sit in in the studio, we were talking about Tennessee recruiting. And I told you how big a deal it was that Dylan Brooks from little tiny Roanoke, Alabama, had committed to the University of Tennessee. That was a five-star defensive end, outside linebacker type. And at the time, we were talking about how big a deal this was. And it is a big deal. And since that time, you know what Tennessee's gone on to do? They've gone on to land five kids in as many days, culminating today with the announcement of Terrence Lewis, another five-star linebacker this time out of South Florida, commits to the University of Tennessee. This is, again, can't be overstated, a huge get for Tennessee and Jeremy Pruitt. Dylan Brooks, who Tennessee gets out of the state of Alabama, and he was supposed to be turning to Auburn. And that started it, right? So that was, that was the first commitment of the week. And Wes... Speak to the impact of that because it, it seemed to be this this have a cascading effect where the good news just kept on coming. Yeah, you know it, it's interesting because it, it, on Sunday that one kind of popped up, and you know that that's a kid who I think a lot of people assume you're talking about a five star prospect, the number one prospect in Alabama. Tennessee got him, and and then you're right. I mean, it's just sort of cascaded from from there to to the point where. After they'd gotten a couple in a couple days, the, uh, one of their really good recruiters, Jay Grant, the running backs coach, puts out this kind of almost like subtweet saying, by the way, kids, uh, if you want a spot, you better take one now because this thing's filling up pretty fast. And then lo and behold, they get two the very next day, one from a five-star and another from the number one JUCO running back in the country who's probably going to end up being a four-star, high four-star. And, and it's like, oh, uh, maybe the kids are paying attention to that because they they've really I don't know if they've coordinated this to get just one per day for several days in a row. I know Butch Jones used to do that, and that's not really Jeremy Pruitt's mo. But if that's had that kind of effect on kids, I mean, hey, do what you got to do. In the time between when Trey recorded his intro and outro and now, Tennessee signed another recruit, Cody Brown, a four-star running back from Georgia. A two-sport athlete who excels at discus and shot put as well as football, Brown is physical and ready. To so Tennessee now sits, as we sit here today, with the number two recruiting class in the country. That, my friends, is the promise that Tennessee fans were hoping Jeremy Pruitt was going to live up to because we, we all expected he was going to recruit well. I think the thing that's interesting, the way they're recruiting right now is, I mean, there's a 
few things. Obviously, they're number two in the country, but there's two commits of the 18 from the state of Tennessee. Uh, so when you look geographically at, at where they're really recruiting hard, they got five guys from the state of Alabama, including the number one ranked on the 24 7 sports composite, the number one strong side defensive end, sorry, weak side defensive end in the country, number one player in the state, Dylan Brooks. Um, they've got uh, a couple guys from Georgia. Uh, they've got a kid from South Carolina, Virginia, like they're two from Georgia, three from North Carolina. They're really leaning into more of the, the, the Tennessee footprints. Like they, I think it, it, they're trying to, it appears really cash in on the players and the region and Tennessee's proximity to the, to the town in the region um, without spreading themselves too thin. And I think in the current coronavirus climate, that that's pretty important. Like I think if you're going to try to go thousand miles away, this is the time you're going to find that kind of success. So they're, they're, they're keeping it within the footprint and, uh, and landing some really good players from some good areas. I mean, if you're getting a running back from Georgia, if you're getting a defensive end from Alabama, if you're getting a linebacker from South Florida, that's a, that's different than if you're getting an O lineman from South Florida. If you're getting a running back from Alabama, I mean that the line of scrimmage athletes and skill players, speedy athletic players from South Florida, line of scrimmage athletes from Alabama, running backs from Georgia, like these are these are sort of premium positions in premium states. And so in that regard, like I think that this is a really encouraging start um, for Tennessee and. It's it's all about momentum right now. I mean, the reality is is m- momentum is real in recruit, and Tennessee is capitalized on it right now. There, there's no doubt they're doing a great job. You know, all the way up to number two in the recruiting rankings. And Barton, there's there's probably more coming, right? And, and they're they're winning some battles. Like like Texas A and M want to Terrence Lewis pretty bad, and they they were able to beat them out. And that's a school who we've seen recruit extremely well. Uh, of late, but you, know, you have defensive tackle uh, Katron Evans, right? Quarterback Caden Salter, who's a guy who worked very high on at 24-7 sports. He, he keeps moving up our ratings. The, the more, he, more he impresses us, the more we dig into his film. Keeps looking better and better. Uh, and then also linebacker Aaron Willis. I mean, like, it's not crazy to think that by the end of May, Tennessee could add uh, those three guys to their class as well and, and really turn this into something huge. Yeah, I, I think... When, when people have asked me, like, whoa, this class is really legit, um, I, I agree. Like, I think they're doing a great job. And I think you also look at it in the sense of they do have 18 commits. Is that the most of anyone in the country? I'm just pulling up the rankings right now. If yeah, it's not, it's going to be close. The the they're getting done right now, building the momentum. And so I think if you go 1 to 18 – I'm not sure every commit like it's it's not quite the the pound for pound beef that Ohio State may be right now, but I do think if you're talking about like the four or five guys at the top, like those guys are ballers. If you're talking about even some of the guys in the middle there, you know they got the kid Deshaun Rucker um, out of out of Florida. You know he's five ten, hundred seventy, but like that kid runs a legit change in the 100 meter dash and and has got legit speed so like there's traits across the board compromising on 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 specific traits they're looking for um but i think it is going to be interesting to see 
you know, is this even the 18? You know, if they get to 25, is, is, is the, are all 18 of these guys even in there? Is, is this class start to turn over somewhere along the way and we see them continuing to build on that momentum and recruit even better players? I, I just think that you, this is sort of just the early stages of this class in, in a lot of ways. All right, so let's, let's play over-under. How many guys in this current 18, we're, we're recording this on, on the afternoon of May 5th, how many of these 18 guys are going to be in Tennessee's class and actually sign with Tennessee? Let's say over under of 12 and a half. Um, so, uh, so if we're going under, obviously, then we're saying six of these guys will decommit somewhere along yeah. the way. I'll go over that. Okay. I'll go over that. I mean, I, I do think there's going to, and I'm not, I'm not going to predict the decommitments by any stretch. There's such, it's just, just such a strange environment and climate right now with so much unknown. We don't know whether there's going to be opportunity for them to, to get evals. We don't know whether, you know, even what the nature of the fall season is going to look like in high school, whether there's even going to be a lot of senior film to evaluate. If there is, I got to think there's going to be a lot of movement more so than ever in terms of evaluations and offers in the fall. Um, but I do think this is a class that's uh, just, just by the nature of the competitive process and, and mentality of, of this Tennessee staff, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if, if we see some turnover. So I'm working on an article right now on the staying power of the recruits in the top 15. And I'm basically going through and I'm using different factors, right? Like historically, how good is this school's recruiting? Because that honestly – your recruiting doesn't change that as much year to year as fans might think it does. But I think Tennessee's a case, a case can be made that this year could be a special year for them. Uh, I also look at what they already have, what everybody else has around them. Uh, and right now, Tennessee's uh, average, you know, average player rating is an 89. They have 12 three-star commits. Now, I think a lot of their fans, and I don't disagree with them, will tell you that some of those kids are probably going to rise up in the recruiting rankings. They, they might be right. Will all those three stars become four stars? No. Will most of those three stars become four stars? The odds, again, say no. But there's a good chance that at least some of those three stars become four stars. But if, if Tennessee wants to have a top five class, top five classes do not sign 12, 12 or more three stars, right? Top five classes do not go anywhere close to having a, an average player rating of sub 90. And Tennessee is at 89.2. So, like, it's, it's a really good class. but it is somewhat artificially inflated due to volume, right? Quantity, not just quality. And there is plenty of quality in the class. I don't want Tennessee fans to, to think that I'm saying the class lacks quality. But there is a decent amount of filler in there right now as well, which is propping them up. And if, if they took this class to November and didn't add anybody to it, and they sat there with 18 commits, which is how many a lot of schools you know, in, in October, November will have, uh, it, it wouldn't be anywhere near the top five. Um, Here's the other thing to think about. Tennessee's over-under for win totals is seven and a half in the regular season. That implies that their two most likely records are seven and five or eight and four. That doesn't, there's no rule that says they have to go seven and five or eight and four. Tennessee certainly could overachieve. I think you're going to have a strong offensive line and a, and a pretty damn good defense. I have some confidence in their, in their secondary after listening to the Go Vols 24-7 podcast the other day. And We'll see what they get out of out of you know Garantano or whomever at the quarterback position. But if they go seven and five or eight and four in Jeremy Pruitt's third year in the program, 
I, I don't know that they hold on to some of their really top top level kids right now because if, if those kids that they beat out schools like Georgia and Florida and Alabama for, those schools are projected to win 10, 11, 12 ball games. You know, if if Tennessee's sitting there in a third year under Jeremy Pruitt and they go seven and five or eight and four, which is what Vegas is thinking their most likely record is going to be, uh, I think a lot of those kids are going to be like, yeah, not really seeing the, the the momentum and the program growth here that that you might need to have in order to sustain that top five class. Now, if Tennessee overachieves, if they can, if, if you can give me a nine and three in the regular season, then, then I can buy into this because that staff has some legitimately great recruiters. It's just with 12 three stars right now. And a Vegas over under a seven and a half, that does not, that's not the recipe for a top five class. Something has to give there. Agreed. Though I think, let's just say, if we're being positive here and we're calling it eight and four, let's just, let's just pencil in the losses as at Georgia versus Alabama, um, at Oklahoma. Is that three or four? Uh, so you Alabama, said, Oklahoma, and then Florida. Let's just say those are their four losses. Okay. Those are seem to be the four best teams in their schedule. All right, and they go eight and four, lose those four games, and they are competitive in those four games, or at least in three of the four games. Okay. Like they got so, so no more than one huge blowout. Yeah. All then right. I think you could make a, a pretty strong case that like the momentum, like the positive energy is still there. The momentum's still carrying. There's optimism like, holy cow, we almost beat Bama. We played to we, – we beat everyone we were supposed to beat, and now we played to Florida to the fourth quarter, and, man, we're so close. Look, you know, one more recruiting class, and we get over the hump. I, I could envision that being enough. So, yes, I do agree with you that th- there's some dependency on the season to continue this moment. And there's some dependency on some of that turnover that I'm alluding to happening for them to have a top five class. Uh, but I, I do think both those things could be in play. Absolutely. And, and that also means no slip-ups, right? Like you, you can't lose the Missouri game. You can't lose at South Carolina. You can't lose at, at Arkansas. You can't lose against Kentucky. And you can't lose against Troy or Vandy. But their schedule sets up, honestly, like, like you get Missouri at home. You have to go to South Carolina, but I don't know how good South Carolina will be. You get the bye before Bama. Arkansas is almost a gimme and, and really a gift for, for Tennessee to be able to grab Arkansas from the SEC West this year. This is kind of, with the exception of the Oklahoma game, kind of what you would want your SEC schedule, obviously, to set up like if you're Tennessee and you're, and you're trying to make a run. Like you want to get Bama at home so you, you can maybe spring an upset there. You, you figure George on the road is a loss, you, you, you try to not make it an ugly one, right? Can you, can you get one of Florida or Bama in Knoxville? I think that's the key here, Barton. We, we can almost drill it down to those two games. Like, like the game at Oklahoma is probably tough early in the year, but if you give me Alabama or, or Florida in Knoxville, that's like those are both before Halloween, assuming the, the season starts on time. You do that, and, and Tennessee can be cooking with grease here. I mean, like really, because now you got the whole rest of the recruiting season to, to recruit with the signature win in your pocket. And right now, like, what is the signature win that Tennessee is selling kids? Like, what, what's Tennessee's best win right now? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, they don't, they're, they're middle of the road SEC teams that they closed with last year. Uh, 
I mean, that's that's ultimately it. I mean, in the end, in a bowl game. I mean, that's yeah, agreed. But that's better. That's a step forward. Um, and so now, like this, you know, we're at the stage in the Tennessee tenure and the Jerry Pruitt tenure uh, that it's not just about the record; it's what it looks. Um, so yeah, but this this recruiting class, like this, is the thing about recruiting right now, especially this time of year, is it's like I said, like momentum isn't some, isn't some abstract thing, like means something on in recruit. And this, this means something. Yeah. I guess talking, but I'm just talking about in terms of creating the incentive for more guys to jump on. Um, you talked about some of those guys that might fold, um, you know, they are, they're more energetic about it right now than they were two weeks ago i can promise you that like they're chomping it now to get on board and so um that's the that's what's so important about this continuing the momentum continuing the time and i think tennessee's in a great shape there's no doubt about it uh so barton after this ad break we'll come back and we'll talk about uh, something you mentioned in, in last episode which is heisman quarterbacks and how well they're translating to the league and, and what that means for us from a recruiting perspective and then we'll also talk a little bit about chris hummer's story that he wrote, and uh, we have some five-star Apple Podcast questions to get to this week. You ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday, experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If ready PG. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. All right, so now let, let's go ahead and talk about something you said last week. We'll go ahead and listen to this clip now. Like this will be – this is what, the third straight year we've had a Heisman Trophy uh, winner be drafted number one overall. Do you remember back when the Heisman Trophy was like a total kiss of death for oh, yeah. NFL success? Like it was, just, it was just a given. If you win the Heisman, you're going to be a bust because what you need to do in college to be successful at the quarterback position is different from what you do in the NFL to be successful at the quarterback position. I think I – think, you're like the no longer do you have to have a translator for what uh, a good quarterback looks like in high school versus college versus the NFL because look if I if I was an NFL if I was trying to project a college kid to the NFL and I had to sort of find a translator to tell me well what is is this work in an NFL system I don't know like this is that that's 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 gone that's like antiquated now all of a sudden NFL is being forced to to accommodate these more spread style quarterbacks, and the spread is sort of filtered, trickled, I guess, up from high school to college and out of the NFL. And now they're just picking the best player, and it's refreshing because you don't have to act like it's some, you know, like you have to don't have to be bilingual in terms of how you view these quarterbacks. It's just hey, if he's if he is if he can be the best player on the field in high school, if he can be the best player on the field in college. He can probably be the best player on the field in the NFL, too. And so, look, dude, you you nailed it. You might have nailed it 
even more than you realized. Uh, I, I went ahead and I was poking around w- w- with some numbers and, and pulled the data from the last 20 Heisman winning quarterbacks, right? So the most recent 10 Heisman winning quarterbacks, their average draft position was sixth overall. The prior 10 Heisman winning quarterbacks, their average draft spot was 120th. I mean, 120th to sixth is is nuts. And that's not that small of a sample. I mean, it dates back to almost 1990. And that's me pulling out Charlie Ward, who went to go play in the NBA. I think there's something to this idea that because of the scheme, like schemes matching up and the NFL teams maybe matching a little more what colleges are, are doing and, and trying to fit their schemes to college players more than ever, that we can trust college production, especially at that position, to translate better to the NFL. It's a little bit, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's refreshing almost. It's like um, a relief. Like if, if we want to look at a kid's, I mean, Joe Burrow, like you can, he's the, he's the latest example, obviously. And, and hey, maybe Joe Burrow is going to be the one that we look back on and we say, well, you know, that's, that was, that, that was the one that um, has started the trend in the other direction because fr- old school mentality, Joe Burrow isn't the NFL prototype. He doesn't have big hands. He doesn't have a, st- a strong arm in the NFL <clears throat> sense of the word. Uh, and, you know, he's, you know, what are his, what is his elite traits? Um, but the dude threw to NFL wide receivers against NFL DBs for the most of his, his season last year and was unbelievable. And he's going to get, it got drafted number one. Um, and it's just, I think it, it speaks to me to just the idea that it's, it's high school, it's college, it's NFL. Everyone is is running elements of this like spread football, and used to be the best quarterback in college football was Eric Crouch or Charlie Ward or whoever else. Like you're talking about, those guys J- don't. Jason they don't, White. They don't play the same game. They don't play the same game as the NFL. Those guys didn't were playing the same game as the NFL, and now we are. Exactly, and I think the NFL, like even some recent guys who maybe ran a different scheme than what the NFL runs. At least those recent guys had pretty freaky talents to where the NFL said, all right, look, well, Cam Newton, no, we're not going to run sort of, you know, stuff that has has its roots in the wing tee for you, like like, like Auburn did, because Gus is an old wing coach from back in the day. Uh, but we're going to make this work, because you can throw two, and you're obviously just a, a, a freakish athlete. Robert Griffin, kind of the same deal. Uh, and sort of around when Johnny Manziel came out is, is when they, I, I think when they really started changing and going more, more, more spready uh, in, in the NFL and seeing that, hey, if you're an NFL personnel guy and you were still that kind of old, stodgy, we only want this super pro-style guy, well, man, you're just limiting your talent pool so much when, when you look at what the colleges are putting out. Uh, but I also think there's an element of this applying uh, from college or from high school to college, rather, uh, because now we don't see these guys running, you know, wing T or traditional under center triple in high school very much anymore. I mean, you, you know, any teams out there that run, that run the bone? Not, not many. I mean, maybe a couple flex bone teams, but like almost everybody's in the spread. And if you're a quarterback who has an ounce of talent, you're you're not going to stick around at that high school anymore and and run 
the option. You're probably going to get to a local high school around you that does run at least some version of the spread and allow you to really pitch the ball around. I think your Joe Burrow point's interesting, too, in that his arm's not great. But what he does so well is hit guys in stride and very quickly diagnose where the ball needs to go. And because with the RPO game, the defense is always wrong, it's just can you figure out where they're wrong within the context of the defense because it, you know, everybody's forced to make choices here. You're kind of running your, your option stuff and pushing the ball down the field. Quick decision-making is probably something that, that's more important than ever in, in the passing game. Yeah, and I made this point on uh, CBS HQ here recently when I was asked to pick a rookie of the year on offense. I picked Joe Burrow, I mean, partially because I mean, it's the obvious answer, but you know, I don't really know. I, we don't know NFL as well as others that f- have more time to follow it. I don't know what the depth charts look like elsewhere. So it was an obvious answer, but the other reason I was confident with it is because if you watch the way Joe Burrow played in the fall, he is making like his concept of what is right now heading into the NFL is what an open receiver is like he is throwing at guys that are covered but because they are so elite because his ball placement is so elite he understands you know what I can complete this pass by making a perfect throw and a perfect catch and and that's what they did at LSU and so I think in that sense just his mentality his demeanor um, as a passer is going to fit well the year Jared Goff got drafted number one, right? Or first quarterback off the board. I think he was number yeah. one. Um, and he was uh, – that first year, I guess he sat uh, or, he didn't, or didn't have a great year, whatever it was. And under Jeff Fisher. I, yeah. Under Jeff Fisher. There you go. Yeah, which is a good point because Jeff Fisher is, is very old school. He is the – he's sort of more of your traditional NFL coach. And I was talking to Tony Franklin. And Tony Franklin, who's the offensive coordinator at MTSU, who was the offensive coordinator at Cal when Jared Goff was there. And I was talking to him at the time for a story on Brent Stockstill, um, who is now on Jeff Scott's staff, staff at USF, was a really good quarterback at MTSU. And I was like, you know, is your boy going to make it? Um, how, you know, how's Jared, you know, is Jared Goff going to be all right or something? And he was like, well, yeah. I mean, if they just quit you know, overthinking this thing and let him play ball. Yeah. He's going to be fine. Like these guys all try to think, act like they, they, you know, reinvent the offense. Like just, if they just let him play, he's going to be great. And, and then, um, you know, obviously coaching change, uh, McVay comes around and, and kind of does that and he's been great ever since. And so I think it, it really has like that movement and guys like Tony Franklin, these spread guys, these Mavericks, the How Mummies of the world, uh, Mike Leach's, like Mike Leach, we're always so critical of these like Mike Leach quarterbacks as these gimmicks, but then they're consistently successful. And you know, Gardner Minshew goes to the NFL, like Luke Falk goes to the NFL. And I thought that he had a great career, but like these walk-on guys who are just Cliff Kingsbury. I always talk about this. I've never talked to Cliff Kingsbury about football, but. Uh, but his, he talks about his belief in the way he evaluates quarterbacks is just like, let me find the most productive guys. Let me find the guy that is making plays more than anyone else, and, we'll, and we can be successful with him. And it's just such a simplified way of looking at it and so 
have spent so much time and energy trying to think themselves out of good football players. And we're finally at a point now where good football translates in all three levels of of the game. But doesn't that require just a tremendous amount of humility from the coach to say, just give me the guy who's really productive. He's probably productive for some reasons that are, some of the reasons are going to be obvious and some of the reasons are not going to be quite as obvious, but I'm going to get the most out of him. Right, as opposed to saying I my quarterback has to have, you know, this physical trait and that physical trait, and then I'll try to try to teach him the game. I, I think we talk to these coaches every day and at, at, at heart they're all teachers at, at some level, and they always think they can really improve this guy in this way and this way. And and I'm not at all arguing that they shouldn't try that, but there is kind of a level of humility required to say, All right, this guy who's five eleven who just threw for five thousand yards, who doesn't look that special physically. I'm going to take him because he showed me he can do it, right? And it may not look the prettiest, but he gets it done. And I think increasingly coaches are coming around on that. I, I'd also recommend, if we can recommend in the ESPN piece, Bill Connolly, my, my friend at ESPN, said, hey, I'm going to write about the 25 games that, that changed the course of college football and prompted the, the spread conquering the sport. And it really struck me as I read the timeline of this, uh, how lo- – like how long it took some of these bigger programs to adopt the spread. I mean, it, it ends obviously with, with LSU blowing out Clemson in the national title game because LSU for the longest time was probably like the stodgiest pro style, you know, get in the eye formation, pound the rock type team. But you, know, you have like Kentucky Wesley or Iowa Wesleyan, right? And, and those teams back in the, in the eighties running this stuff. And then for a long time, Oklahoma was the only, I don't see the only P5 team because there was Kentucky with with, with uh, Tim Couch. But they were kind of the only really good elite P5 team running the spread for a lot of the very early 2000s. And now it's just – now there's not a team out there for the most part that doesn't want to try to make you defend the entire field. Like the idea of what a good coach is, I think, is changing, at least to me. It used to be good coach is the guy that's got this super – system and he's going to draw up all these super complex plays and he you know and and so a good quarterback is the big strong fast processor that can sit in the pocket and um you know rattle off your big long play that you just just told him whereas like i I, i'm I'm drawn to I, i was really liked something that ryan day said in his signing day press conference when he was talking about his class uh someone asked him, you know, what do you look for in a quarterback? And whatever, like a lot of coaches will say, well, great accuracy. Like he's got to be athletic or, you know, we want someone that can throw off platform or whatever. Like there's all these buzzwords that people talk about in terms of building the best quarterback. And Ryan Day's response was, uh, we're looking for one elite trait. We're looking for one really special trait. And then we're going to build the offense around that. And I think that's what the good coaching is right now. It is the ability to be adaptive to what your personnel is, ability to be adaptive to what you're seeing on a weekly basis, and the ability to, to cater your system and, and sort of have that system be like a living organism that is going to evolve and change and adapt as your roster evolves, adapts, as your opponents evolve and change and adapt. Because at some point, the spread stuff is going to run out of style as well. And the coach, and like, that's why I'm, I'm interested right now where 
it used to be the old hammerhead coach that's going to, you know, run power is the stubborn guy. Now all of a sudden it's like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm just like fascinated to see like what's Mike Bloomgren going to do at Rice now that, you know, he switched that system from a spread to a sort of a power offense. And now that, that's the zig to everyone else's zag. Who else is going to be that guy? And, and I'm just sort of – I'm keeping what, what that is, what the counter spread is, because all of a sudden, like you said, bud, like everyone's doing at this point. And probably everyone should be until they figure out what the better alternative is. And there's all kinds of potential things we have to consider there, and we won't cover them all on, on this podcast, obviously. But do you care – if are you at a school where – putting guys in the NFL is a consideration in determining what system you run, which is why I think Paul Johnson at Georgia Tech was not a real smart fit because Georgia Tech should actually be able to recruit some elite guys. Paul Johnson had a lot of other schools, though. You know, like I, I thought I thought Arizona should have hired Kenny Amatololo, right? Because oh, I don't yeah. think Arizona, Arizona can't recruit that well, in my opinion. You know, like that they could disrupt some teams in the Pac-12 South. I know Khalil Tate didn't want it. But like other than, than, than the triple, I, I think – if you're not going to come up with an offense that is more efficient necessarily in terms of using the whole field and quick decisions than other offenses, you're going to have to find your efficiency in being out, like thinking outside the box and doing something that is hard for teams to prepare for because they rarely see it and their scout teams don't know how to simulate it, right? Like you play it, and if you guys played a unique offense and your coaches were trying to show the scout team how to run it, if it's something they never run, the tempo at which they simulate it for you in the week of practice is nowhere near what what the normal tempo they're going to run and simulate stuff for you that they see all the time. That's right. I was uh, I, I actually um, my my senior year, but well, what my senior year? I was injured. I took a fifth year, but that that year I was out. I ran the scout team, like ran the. There we go. Pulled up, threw up the plays, and I'm telling I'm telling you what, like those might have been Ivy League educated dudes, but like. There were some guys that were just football idiots that like it was impossible to get them to run the play correctly and get them to line up right and do the motion pr- properly and all that sort of stuff. And so, yes, like if they're running or something different than what you're used to seeing, you're used to doing, you just can't you can't simulate it um, effectively. Uh, <laughs> at least I couldn't in my days as a scout team coach. So let's also talk here about uh, Chris Hummer's story. He wrote a really cool story that, that got some attention from one Urban Meyer uh, about uh, development of four and five stars. He came up with a proprietary formula to, to decide uh, who should get credit for developing these four and five stars. And I, I thought this was was a really interesting piece by Chris. Yeah, this was um, – he's actually done this now for a couple of years. Um, and it's – like everyone – gets the credit on signing day for the recruiting class and the recruiting rankings. Um, but ultimately are you developing those players at the rate that you should be? Are, are, when those players come to your program, do they leave your program? We get a lot of heat for like, Oh, well, yeah, like Alabama offered him, and he's a four star. Like how hard is that? Well, when you look at these numbers, you realize a lot of schools take four-star and five-star guys and get nothing out of them. And probably even more impressive than what Alabama and a couple of these other schools, Alabama finished number one of these rankings, more impressive than what Alabama does on the recruiting is 
what they do in developing those recruits. And I guess ultimately that's why they continue to, to sustain it is because you can sort of point to the, the, the success. But um, in, in terms of top 247 players, Alabama's gotten 59.3% of them drafted. That's, that's a really, really impressive mark. The only school that's done it better in terms of pure percentage is Ohio State. Alabama finished number one in the rankings because Alabamas are getting drafted higher in the NFL draft than Ohio State's guys on average. But those two schools have sort of set the bar in terms of not only developing at the highest level, I'm sorry, recruiting at the highest level, but also developing at the highest level. And Chris's um, numbers do a great job of illustrating that. And we can look at the other side of this too. Uh, some other schools don't don't fare as favorably as uh, as, as as other big names. You know, so, something that, that I thought was interesting in, in this too is, so Chris did a good job controlling for if you recruit a whole lot of four and five stars, like making it look making it by percentage and a ratio of you know, how many of the guys you recruit as a ratio go on to be drafted as opposed to just total aggregate numbers, which I think is important. W- were you surprised? By the rather poor showings by some of the 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 smart schools, you know, like, like I almost I I would have I would have thought Stanford would be converting the four and five stars who they do get to NFL draft picks and good draft picks at a higher number. Same thing with with, with Virginia. And my thinking is kind of like, all right, if you get a four and five star who actually goes to one of those schools, the, he probably has pretty good academics, right? He, he he passed their admissions. The chance that he flunks out or or quits or gets booted, I think is lower than, than at some of the schools that have much more lax admission standards. And because those schools would be avoiding that attrition a little bit better in theory, uh, they should probably be doing a better job turning turning guys into pros. But I, they weren't really on that that first page. They were more on that second and third page. And that that kind of surprised me a little bit when I was scanning through it. So I, I have a theory about this um, that – is something I haven't proven yet, but it's something I'd like to look into is those high end academic types um, are ultimately not quite on the same tier from a recruiting standpoint, from a prestige standpoint as Alabama, Ohio state, Georgia, LSU, whoever. So when they're getting a four and a five star guy, they are getting a four and five star guy because that kid is very academic oriented, which is like, that's certainly a positive, but is that a kid that is eating, breathing football in the same way the kid that chooses Alabama over one of those schools is? Um, Whereas like, I bet you in a lot of those schools, their hit rate for three stars, like, I wonder how many three stars versus four stars succeed at some of those programs. Because if you're a three-star guy without the, the, the profile and you choose a, a Notre Dame, a Stanford, uh, you've probably been evaluated. They probably like you, something about you. And you are probably choosing that program. Yes, academics is obviously always going to be a part of the equation. 
But are you then, are you then as that profile choosing that program because that is your highest profile football opportunity? Uh, and then does that mean, is that then again sort of lend to you being more successful coming from that, uh, that sort of launching point? Um, I, I don't know. I, I think like is, I think a lot of times that the programs that can't win the head-to-head with those top tier, top 10, top five type of schools, when they get a, a kid with offers from those top tier, top five type of schools, often that means that they're winning that battle because he wasn't someone that those other schools wanted. And so they're taking him probably because they're partially influenced by where he's ranked. They're partially influenced by who else has offered him. They're partially influenced by the idea that we get to get this kid with a really high profile and, and pound our chest about winning a recruiting battle. Like I think the, the, the battle that programs have to face the discipline that they have to show in terms of making those decisions properly is, is really fascinating. And it's, uh, it's worth sort of digging into to figure out like where who's, who's successful in that and who isn't. So taking the right five stars, uh, uh, avoiding the temptation to take some four star just because he's rated a four star, because maybe you know he's probably not that good, right? Maybe we maybe we are wrong on this kid, but yet there is sort of a uh, there's sort of a conflict internally for, on some of these coaching staffs because they want to take the kids, they want to be able to impress their boosters and show, hey, we have this four star kid and. Look, they know the odds are that we're right. Like we're we're right an overwhelming number uh, amount of the time. Not always, but but for the most part, we're 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 more right than we are wrong on these guys, as, as the numbers show. But I write blue chip ratio every year, and I always ask, like, well, hey, I always get asked, like, why does Iowa smoke this team with like a thirty five percent blue chip ratio? And I'm like, look, Iowa's not trying to win a national title. Right, like I mean, they'll probably tell you they are, but they're not trying to recruit to win a national title. So that that's why they end up with better results than some of these teams whose fans irrationally think that they should be able to win a national title. And thus, because that's where the boosters are and where the supporters of the program are, those teams feel like they have to try to recruit to win a national title. And thus, I think they're like, oh, we need these four stars to win this national title. And they're right but they got to get the right ones. Whereas some of these schools that are smart enough to realize we're never going to win a national title. College football is kind of a rigged game, right? There's maybe 12 or 14 schools that ever have a shot to do it. Uh, and that list basically never changes. We'll just stick and, and try to figure out the guys who fit our program. Like there are schools who do a better job taking almost solely three stars and a couple four stars because they make sure they fit their program perfectly over the schools that just try to gather talent to look pretty in the recruiting rankings. Now, the ones that do the best job are the super elite ones who get the five stars who also are the right fits. There's just not that many of those. Because I, I think Michigan is a, is a really interesting one because if you look at the, at, at the list that, that Chris Summer put out, Michigan is 20th, 26.9. So 27% of their four and five star top two, four, seven players get drafted. That's a really low number relative to, to the in, in the pool they're, they're playing in. You know, so that obviously, when you look at that, it comes across in a really negative light and it speaks to maybe Michigan 
having some bad evals or even bad development. But then I think if you if you if you pull it out and you look at the full picture, you think about well, hold on, Michigan just had a, a walk on drafted this past class. They had uh, a couple three stars drafted this past class. They've they've had other guys like you know Devin Bush wasn't a consensus five star guy and he was drafted in the first rounds. Like they've they've actually probably developed pretty well. And this that could be one of these schools that's because they do sort of and, and their fan base is 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 very um, enamored with stars and and we all tell them they should be because we all tell them like well I mean Ohio State's recruiting better than you that's why they're beating you every year recruit to the Ohio State's level and you know then we'll talk um, but. Like the reality is like it, that's it's such a tricky position to be in if you're Michigan because you you do need to recruit the best players, but when you're looking at who's developing into the best players, it's not always the highest rated for you. And so I think that's why in, in most of these instances, you're, the idea is to get the best players you can that are right for your program, like you're talking about, find those fits so that then you can tear up to where you are swimming in the pool with Alabama, LSU, Clemson, Ohio State, and Georgia. Because now those schools have tiered up to a spot on the recruiting trail from a, from a name prestige standpoint that they, they don't like really have to take any three stars. Like they can just go pick the best players in the country. Um, and so I think it's a, it's a progressive, like it takes progressive steps to get to that point and along the way, it takes incredible discipline in terms of making sure you're taking the right guy and pushing back against whatever the, um, you know, the backlash you might receive. The other one I, I wanted to just point out was, oh, my God, Texas. Did you got see to. that? <laughs> yeah, you wow. got to, Texas. I mean, 15.2% of blue chips or top, top two or seven players drafted. 15.2 development rating of, of 0.24 um, among the teams measured and listed in the graphics. So only Cal uh, was worse. That that's pretty bad. That's why I think there is room for Texas to improve. And, and I, I, I have some faith in Texas. because I, I just don't think that a team who basically has right of first refusal on a lot of the really good players in that state is going to continue to be as mediocre as, as they are. The, the odds say, uh, that they will improve at at some point. I, I don't know if it's this year. I think it is, but I I could be wrong about that. Uh, something that has been improving quite a bit is our Apple Podcast ratings and reviews. We, we are up to two hundred twenty five of those. Look at that we did, segue, we, man! Look at that. <laughs> I've done this podcast game for a while. So uh, what we told the listeners when we hit when we hit two hundred forty seven reviews, we will uh, do a mailbag only show, uh, and of course, you can leave your questions with your five star review. But we're going to give you all a little teaser here. This is from a guy who uh, he, he's a he's a Cover Three convert now, or maybe not con, you know convert because he still listens to the Cover Three. But his name is uh, Prep Debaugh, uh, and he gives us five stars, of course, and writes, uh, "Longtime listener and huge fan of the Cover Three pod." When I saw this pop up, I had to subscribe. The more college ball content, the better. We agree. Uh, I follow college ball on a national level, but Indiana football is my passion. Which you know he's passionate if he's following Indiana football. Like if that's his passion, I mean, man, that's 
Uh, do you think last season's eight and four record was a blip on the radar? Or do you think Tom Allen's coaching and recruiting at a level that could contend for seven or eight wins each year? Hashtag LEO. So I, I like, first of all, I really like Tom Allen. I really like this Indiana program right now. I really like Michael Penix at quarterback. I seem to be higher on him than most. So here's the, this is the thing that it's all comes down to for me is new offensive coordinator, Nick Sheridan, who's like, I don't know, like something like a young guy. And he for, for Kalen DeBoer, who just took the head of state who did an awesome job last year. And so that was a little bit where we started to see Indiana surge was that offense was, was, was really efficient, uh, really effective. Now, hopefully Michael Penix this year, they get some good receivers back. Um, I like the way they're generally we're talking about guys, you know, evaluating, right. Taking the right guy recruiting on that minute. Me where they're, they, they, I think they found a good land sweet spot right now and the, and the type of players they're, they're, they're digging up. Uh, but I, look, we'll see. I'm, I'm hopeful because I love, you know, I, 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 I'm enjoying the Indiana resurgence here. Um, but I don't know. What do you think, bud? I, I think that they got a shot to, to keep it rolling. All right. So I, first of all, I really appreciate the, the question. And I, I like that. First of all, you said you like all these things. I like Michigan. And I like Penn State, and I really like Ohio State. And I don't like the fact that Indiana has to play all three of those teams every year. So I don't want to be negative here, but if you basically just, just write in 0-3 for those games more often than not. Can we, like I'm not saying it'll happen every year, but more often than not, they're going to go over in those three divisional games. I, I think that's, that's a fair assumption to make. Uh, and certainly has been a fair assumption over the last, at least in, in my lifetime. Um, the last time Indiana went eight and four was 1993. I was eight years old. Uh, so last year, as far as like how long you want to draw back the radar, yes, it was a blip on the radar, but we might have a couple more blips coming. I, I do like what Tom Allen is doing with this program. If you like the way the question's written, is he coaching and recruiting at a level that they could tend for seven, eight wins each year? Yes, if they are smart with the non-conference schedule and if they keep having consistency at quarterback. So I pulled up their non-conference schedule. Because if you're going to win seven or eight games a year at Indiana, you basically need to schedule yourself a 3-0 and in the non-con. And I'm sorry if that's boring, but you know what? Bowl games aren't boring. Consistently going to bowl games is cool. So next year or this year, Western Kentucky, Ball State, UConn, that is what I'm talking about. That is how we get to 8-4 and is we start out 3-0 and and then we take our 0-3 with, with Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State. And then we have to get four or five more wins. So 2021, Idaho, Cincinnati at Western Kentucky. I'm okay with it. I understand you're going to play Cincinnati once in a while. It may not be that good in 21. Who knows? Might have a coaching change there. Luke Fickle's a pretty hot candidate. 22, Idaho, Western Kentucky at Cincinnati. All right. You know, I guess I don't love playing a road game at a G5 team, but it, it may happen sometimes. Uh, 23, Indiana State, Louisville in Indianapolis, uh, and Akron. 
So you get the Louisville there. You're kind of kind of veering off course a little bit. I I, I really don't love scheduling P5 teams. In the Louisville may be pretty good right about then. Yeah, yeah. Th- this is this is where I'm not loving it here. And, they, but and hey, play- maybe maybe Indiana's pretty good right about then. Maybe this is not you know maybe they've 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 ramped up to where they can they can dip their toe outside the um you know they've given Tom Allen the time. Now they can dip their toe outside of the 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 buy some wins uh, region of the of the college football. That's true. We really shouldn't be be like if if the worst thing we could say about their scheduling philosophy is that they're playing Louisville 23, 24, and 25. I I I say we give them a pass. Just don't go scheduling any any crazy stuff. If Alabama's like, hey, we got this opening to play in the dome, ignore what we did to Duke and, and USC and, and all just just say no to Alabama and the dome to open the year. And Man, if you go three and zero in the non-con, I think Tom Allen's a pretty good coach. They're doing good things there. A little concerned that they lost their their really good offensive lineman to Iowa in, in a in a transfer situation. You know, you'd think they're building something there. Like, right, Kronk was from Indiana, right? He was. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, I didn't get that transfer either. Um, I, I don't really know what happened there, uh, but I'm gonna say that at least until twenty three, yes, Iowa or Indiana should be able to contend for seven or eight wins each year. And then maybe by then, like you said, maybe they'll be be stepping up even more. Yeah. If you've listened to the Cover 3 podcast, maybe you've already heard this. But my pie-in-the-sky hopeful uh, prediction for Indiana this year is a possible upset week one over Wisconsin. All right? That's a big if, obviously. But let's just let's just be be optimistic here. Pull off the big upset in week one over Wisconsin. All right, then they'll be favored over West Kentucky, favored over Ball State, favored over C- Connecticut, favored over Maryland, Maryland, favored over Rutgers, favored over Michigan State. So, so that's seven and zero with Penn State coming to Bloomington on Halloween night game. Seven and zero with Penn State having a pretty sharp record as well. That's there. There's your moment right there. Let's just let's just all hope for Indiana getting a seven and zero Halloween showdown with Penn State, and then they get at Ohio State at Michigan to close the year as well. So we'll see what happens. Contractually, like I'm required to go to Nashville a couple times a year. I, dude, I'll, I'll come pick you up if they're undefeated and Penn State's undefeated. We'll we'll go to that game. We'll we'll do Barton and Bud. I mean, assuming that the I, quarantine stuff's all all lifted, we'll do I've, it live from the game. I've never been to Bloomington. I haven't Let's either. Do it. All I'd, right, I'd love to. Sounds good. Uh, hey, if you want, want to get your question featured on the Barton and Bud Show, a really good way to do it is just do what we remind you to do several times an episode and just go to your iPhone or your, your iPad or iPod. I guess people don't really use iPods anymore. Uh, and pull up Apple Podcasts, put your five-star reviews in there, and uh, and you can include your question with your review. And I think by this time next week, we may be at, at, at 247 reviews. I would hope so. And so we'll make it a mailbag show. Hope to hear from you. all-star studded challenge ever and this time it's every competitor for themselves best challenge ever the challenge all-stars new season now streaming on paramount plus go to paramountplus.com to try it free terms apply